This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. <laughs> It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. So they are just underway at the Savile Sports Center. Canadian women, ranked number five in the world, taking on Turkey, ranked number seven. The uh, game one of the Edmonton Grads International Classic. They'll play again Friday at seven and Saturday at three. It's basketball week in Edmonton. That was proclaimed earlier today by Councillor uh, Tim Cartmel. What's really cool is former City Councillor Brian Anderson, who's a, a legendary uh, high school uh, when during his teaching career, legendary high school football and basketball coach, the MVP award for the Edmonton Grads Classic named after him, the Brian Anderson Award, so they announced that today as well. And in conjunction with the Edmonton Grads Classic, there's going to be a three-on-three tournament going on this weekend as well at the Savile Centre. They'll get going uh, 2 o'clock Friday afternoon. It's the Canada Quest Finals, so uh, regional champions from across the country, uh, three-on-three teams, which has really taken off. It's going to be an Olympic sport, of course. So they'll do the round-robin on Friday. They'll do the uh, quarterfinals and the semis at 10 and 12.30, respectively, on Saturday. And then get this, they're going to play the championship game for the Canada Quest Tournament at halftime of uh, the final game, Game 3, for the uh, Edmonton Grads Classic. So that's pretty cool. A lot of Edmonton content here. The uh, Canadian women's team, Edmonton natives Catherine and Michelle Plouffe playing tonight. And in the three-on-three tournament, a couple of guys who played at Ross Shep here in Edmonton. They played in the NCAA. They've been playing pro in Europe. Steve Sir and Jermaine Buckner. Jermaine has played 12 seasons in Europe. Now he's trying the three-on-three as well. And I was able to talk to Jermaine during the news conference at City Hall today. Well, Jermaine, uh, for there to be a basketball week in Edmonton and obviously the, the big events with the, th- with the three-on-three and the, the women's tournament, uh, I mean, you as, a, as an Edmontonian, you must be pretty thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, again, it's been a while since I've been able to compete um, myself uh, on local soil. You know, representing something local, you know, a, a Canadian team, uh, having the opportunity to represent Canada in the World Cup was absolutely incredible. Being able to put the Canadian jersey back on, um, just being able to be home. You know, I've, I've played overseas now for the past 12 years, and any any moment I have a, the opportunity to be home, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure, you know, to be around family, to be around friends, to, to be around basketball in Edmonton. Um, you know, having the, the women's national team here is awesome. You know, a couple, couple summers ago, I was able to bring my kids to the game, and they were able to meet Michelle and meet Catherine and Plus and, and the rest of the ladies, and they just had a great time. And, um, it's funny, you know, all these years later, uh, now being a father myself, you know, and having my kids as excited as I was to, to be able to see professional athletes play, um, it's pretty special for me. 
What do you like about playing three-on-three? And I guess the second part of that is, why do you think it's taken off so much in the last few years? Yeah, you know, for, for myself, this is my first summer playing the game, so I'm still new to it. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't sure what to expect from it. You know, I've spoken to Steve about it for the last couple of years now, and he's, uh, you know, when someone tells you something, it's always different when you step out there yourself, you know, and I've gotten all the information verbally from Steve and been able to watch it a little bit, but I love the, the physical aspect of it. Um, I love the passion that's there. I love that you only have two other guys on the, on the court and to rely on at, at one point. It's not like you have a, a roster of 12 guys where you're deep and um, if, if one or two guys are not having a good day, then you know the other 10 guys can pick you up. You know, you gotta all be on and clicking and on the same page. And I really like that about the, about 3x3. I like that the, the pace of the game is really quick. Um, it's a half court game, as you know, and uh, it's very fast. You know, it's very aggressive. They don't make a lot of calls that you would get in the five <laughs> in a five-on-five game. And I'm a, I've always been a physical player, so I like that aspect of it. And uh, obviously, um, in terms of my teammates, it's great to be playing with uh, Canadian guys again. Your story is a pretty interesting one. I mean, obviously, Paul mentioned at the podium, uh, Ross Shep. You played NCAA uh, at Richmond, and you've had an incredible pro career in Europe. Uh, so how many years now have you been playing in Germany? Uh, in Germany, this is my fifth season. Fifth season in Germany. So, I, I mean, explain, you know, that opportunity, how it comes about, and how you sort of... You know, that's a big part of your life. I mean, you're back in Edmonton now, but, uh, I mean, how do you make that happen as a pro and, and keep crafting out that career there? Yeah, I mean, as Brian said up on the podium, time spent. I like the way he put that, you know. Um, it, it's time spent. It's the hours that you put in the gym. It's the hours that you dedicate to um, improving your body and your eating habits, your, your physical um, health. You know, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Steve and I talk about this all the time. I think sometimes people underestimate the amount of hours and energy that you have to put aside to continue playing at this age. I'm 34 now, you know, so um, the older you get, as you know, <laughs> the body doesn't agree with you so much uh, on the basketball court all the time. So you have to put in extra hours and, um, you know, just being on the court, working on your game constantly because, you know, each and every single year there's a young player coming out of school who wants to try and take your spot. And um, if you're not hungry, if you don't keep that hunger and that drive and that desire to constantly improve and not settling, then, I mean, the game will pass you by. So I, I, would, uh, I would just say the, the, consistent, um, the consistency in working on your game and developing your personal skill set. Well, and you're an example for younger players, and obviously the, the women's team, great example for younger players. How do you think the the role models have changed i mean who did who did you look up to when when you were a kid uh canadian wise and how do you think that landscape has changed now for younger canadian players to have role models in the game yeah i mean for myself personally um growing up in edmonton there, there were guys like steve steve parker you know you know uh, the the family relationship that we had growing up in their household and and them in my household so uh, steve was always a few years older than me so it was easy access for me you right. know <laughs> being in the house with steve was always like i felt like i was in the house with a, a, a living legend you know and he would take myself and, and his younger brother andrew out on the court and uh, beat us up and we always felt like we were, we were out there playing with this uh, this god of basketball, you know, and then watching him go on to win his, his national championship at the U University of Alberta was, it, Steve was always a local guy that I could look up to. Um, guys like Ed Joseph, um, who played at the U of A as well. 
Uh, I grew up around their family, and uh, Ed was always somebody who who was special to me in my life as well, a good role model and somebody to look up to on and off the basketball court. Um, it, it's changed a little bit now, uh, a lot now, because you know you're seeing the, the Canadian game change so much. The athletes in Canada are doing so much better, and they're, they're more international now. You know, you see so many Canadians overseas in Europe now. You see a lot of Canadians in the NBA. You see a lot of Canadians in the WNBA, whereas when I was growing up, I only had, we, we only had guys like Steve Nash. And, um, you know, back then, you, you look at guys like Rick Fox, even though he wasn't, he, you know, we considered him Canadian, but we didn't have a ton of guys to look up to in the NBA. It always was like a fantasy. You know, we watched these guys on TV and oh, we could never achieve that. But now having so many locals, you know, I can't imagine for like the young ladies in the city who can look up to girls like Michelle Plouffe and Niall Rancock and ladies who are literally in Edmonton right now, but they're WNBA players or, or they're having very successful careers over in Europe. Niall Rancock was the, the MVP of the French League this past season. Last season, Catherine Plouffe was the MVP of the French League. Uh, so... And these girls are literally right in Edmonton around the corner right now training. So just that in itself, the, the, the dynamics have shifted so much. And um, it's exciting to see that young athletes here in Edmonton have role models that are they have direct access to. T tonight they can go to the Savile Center and watch them live and interact with them and meet them. And like, like you heard uh, set up on the podium, the, the girls have been into at least 10 schools interacting with at least 800 uh, young kids you know which is we didn't have growing up you know we had at the Edmonton Eskimos and I remember to this day I can remember being in elementary school and having them come in to the classroom and you're looking at the green and gold like you know like it's it's incredible and as a kid you don't realize the impact that you can have on uh, on a young student athlete or just a young student that was great to talk to Jermaine Buckner today and I loved his perspective about him being a kid in Edmonton mentioned playing for Ross Shep players he looked up to at the U of A looking up to Edmonton Eskimos when they would do their school visits and now he's one of those players that the next generation of Edmonton basketball players of Canadian basketball players look up to and the, as he mentioned the women's game has taken incredible strides as well and if you're a young player boy or girl you can go to the Edmonton Grads Classic and see Michelle Plouffe, Catherine Plouffe. You can watch the three-on-three, see Steve, Sir, Jermaine Buckner. And Canadian basketball has come a long way. I mean, the women's team ranked fifth in the world. They've uh, been close at the Olympics into getting into that Final Four, couldn't quite make it. And, uh, you know, the men's team, obviously, it's a, it's more competitive, but we're seeing a lot more Canadians in the NBA. We're seeing a lot more Canadian high school players uh, go play in the NCAA. Jermaine was a player who was able to do that out of Edmonton, as was Steve Sir. So it's one of those things where you, and, and I, we've talked about this before, and this is not to diminish how good Canada is at hockey and a lot of the winter sports. I want Canada to keep winning in hockey and having great curlers and great figure skatings. But we've lagged behind, I think, in some of the other sports. And I hope we're starting to see some progress. Well, we have seen some progress. And I hope it continues. The women's soccer team, you know, medals uh, at the Olympics. Uh, you know, Jen Kish, the local rugby player. Women's uh, rugby sevens, really strong. And uh, I think the men's team's doing better in a lot of sports as well. We'll see what happens with the men's soccer team. We uh, had Jeff Paulus in studio yesterday, coach of FC Edmonton. They're going to be joining the Canadian Premier League. Uh, I think he thinks he can stock his team with a lot of Alberta players, with a lot of Edmonton players, playing at a higher level of competition. And yeah, the Canadian Premier League isn't going to be leagues in Europe, but it's going to get Canadian players playing games. 
and playing at a higher level and playing together. And, and, and hopefully it could take a while, but 5, 10, 15 years from now, we really see a big difference. And, and I think Jermaine did a good job explaining that. That was pretty cool to talk to him. It is 7-17. Mets leading the Blue Jays 6-3 in the bottom of the seventh. Inside Sports on 6-30. Chet, quick timeout. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. And speaking of the Edmonton Grads International Classic, what a start for Canada. 90 seconds left in the first quarter. It is 17-5, Canada leading Turkey. Canadians burst out of the gate scored the first 10 points of the game, forced Turkey to take an early timeout. So Canada, 17, Turkey 5 late in the first quarter. They will play again Friday at 7 and Sunday at 3 in the afternoon. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 7.20 inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30. Chad Eskimos in Toronto, Saturday, 2 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 3.30. The Eskimos, an impressive rally past the Lions on Friday, including that tiptoe touchdown by Natea J. On second and 10, he's got lots of time in the pocket. He goes to the back of the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. It is Nate Ajay with the touchdown reception at the very back of the end zone. Yeah, it took a second to be sure about it, but he did stay in bounds. And Ajay hoping to help out the Eskimos. Obviously, a Canadian receiver can help flip the ratio a little bit. Nate Bahar looks pretty solid as well. I think he has some potential. Ajay talked to Morley Scott about his touchdown and other things this afternoon. Oh, for sure. It's probably one of my you know, finest moments in, in the CFL and probably all the football, just, you know, all around kind of game, like you said, the block on Sali, then the, the catch and the tackle and, you know, another tackle earlier. But, you know, I'm definitely going to remember it for a long time. Yeah, it's one of those games where you got to love it when everything just comes together yes. for you. Yeah, exactly. And we end up getting the win too, which is probably the most important thing. So, you know, definitely a game to remember for me. Yeah, so many guys have had great nights and the team doesn't win and it's like you don't like to yeah, talk about it. Right? Exactly, exactly. I was thinking about that too. I'm like, man, this would have been so different if we lost. But, you know, the fact that we won, I got to enjoy it a little bit more. Talk about the touchdown catch. I mean, uh, that, uh, that must have been hard to get that toe down. It was, but, you know, honestly, I was just thinking uh, it was close there. And, uh, you know, as soon as the ref gave me the signal, it was like it was, it was a party. But uh, before that, I saw the ball in the air, and I knew I was getting close to the sideline because, uh, you know, the, the way Mike had thrown it, and uh, it was going to be a close play on the sideline there. And I was like, you know, just, you know, contort, do whatever you can to get the toe in because, you know, chances like this don't come around very often, you know. That's a play you practice a lot. Right, that's that's yeah. why you practice it. Right? Exactly, and funny thing, my one of my best friends, he just got for the Dolphins right now. We used to play uh, little pee wee football, and you know we'd always practice a sideline catch like every day. He's like, "Yo, sideline catch, let's be like Chad Johnson, sideline catch." So, yeah, I called him after. I told him, you know, 15 years later, it paid off. Except Chad Johnson had to get both feet. Right, right, exactly. So you know, it was a little bit easier. Uh, the de- level of difficulty was a little bit on my side there for sure. Uh, the win, uh, pretty impressive win. Uh, slow start. I mean, everything went wrong to start yes. the football game. You know, you look at the first three times you touch the football, you 
get a, a sack and interception and a fumble, but we're able to somehow flip the switch. Yeah, for sure. You know, it wasn't looking in the first quarter. It wasn't looking too good there. And like you said, there was a, a sack, there was an interception, there was a fumble on kickoff return. So all three phases was kind of, you know, on the, on the downturn. And and luckily our defense kept us in it. And BC, you know, didn't take advantage. And you know, long enough for our offense to pick it up and then slowly, slowly keep building momentum. And as soon as we got that momentum, it was like a, a, a train. You know, it wasn't going to be stopped. What does it mean to you that they were able to make the switch with the ratio and had enough confidence to, to put you in with Nate to, to be the two Canadian receivers? It means a lot. I you know me and Nate have been you know going back and forth from mini camp you know to training camp when he got back, and you know I, I believe in myself and I know great Nate's a great player as well. And for the coaches to see that, it, it was very special. I remember in mini camp when they had us competing, we were like, let's let's make the most of this. Let's uh let's get them to flip the ratio. That was our little little model. Uh, let's both be great and get let them you know put us both in there. And you know I was happy it was able to work out and hopefully we can keep it going. So you call it your best game in the CFL. Yeah. Now you get to go home, play in front of family and friends with a little momentum. Yeah, you know it's gonna be special for sure. Uh, you know hopefully looking to uh, repeat the performance uh, <laughs> if I can and uh, you know get to play at home and it's always special with you know friends and family, especially after last week winning and having a good game. They're gonna be they're gonna be excited to see me for sure. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. And you've worked hard for the opportunity to become an everyday offensive player. You've been great on special teams for the last couple of years. Uh, and like this is kind of the thing you want to add to your game. So it becomes a you know he can do it once. Now it's all yes. about consistency, right? Exactly. And after the game, I was thinking about that too. It was like this can't be just you know a flash in the pan, one time thing. It's got to be the new standard. And that's that's what I'm going to be working hard towards, just making it the new standard. And and then so that a game like that isn't like my best game. It's like oh okay, he's he's kind of just doing it all the time now. So that's that's the, my challenge to myself uh, to, to try to you know continuously do that day in day out and that's going to be what I'm striving for. Natea Jay, great talk there with Morley Scott. Pretty excited about his touchdown and I loved and he referenced it in the interview. He scored that touchdown and then made the special teams tackle on the kickoff. So a pretty outstanding contribution. Look, I, I think we'll, we'll state the obvious here and we were touching on it earlier. Uh, I, I, I don't have very many concerns about the Eskimos receiving core. They, they, Ajay Bahar, they got a couple Canadians. They got, I mean, Hazelton is hurt and Bryant Mitchell uh, was hurt, but he's not playing either. So they have some guys, if, if they have some injuries, that they can shuffle in who, who are pretty good players. I mean, Hazelton's a good physical player. Mitchell, a player we haven't seen a lot of. But he's still been uh, hanging around for the practice on the practice roster most of the time as an Edmonton Eskimo, and he's pretty good as well. So on the offensive side of the ball, uh, not a lot of concerns for the Eskimos. Obviously, they'll, they're going to have to stay healthy, but I, I do think that they have some depth to be able to survive some injuries. The defense, not quite the same. Not quite the same, but defensive coordinator Mike Benavides did say the defense gaining a lot more confidence. I think it's just uh, you know, like we had talked about before and a lot was made about the youth, but uh, it's just playing more together. Um, Mm -hmm. Execution, understanding, having a bit more uh, film to study and all kinds of things like that, but really it was just about the players executing doing a great job. A lot's been made about being top in sacks and pass defense and interceptions and all that. That's all great, but uh, I really think it's really about the men coming together, learning, and, and just having repetitions together. So when you look at a guy like Mike Knight or a guy like uh, Money Hunter, start three, you know, so things kind of hopefully slow down for him. So yeah. it's about execution and guys making plays and, you know, affecting the quarterback, which we did in different ways. So it's just about doing their job. We all have a job to do. Don't do anything more. Don't do anything less. Don't try and be a superhuman. Just make the ordinary play, which is just do your job.
You know, last week I, I gave you the example of Kenny Ladler. Mm. Another example might be Christoph Malama-Chamanga. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, when you look at Christoph, he played last year a bunch, um, wasn't a starter for the entire season, but he did get a lot of snaps, which I think helped his growth now. Had a great offseason, lost some weight. And I think when you look at his uh, maturity from understanding schematics and what the opponent does, um, he's only going to get better. I mean, you look at his game with a couple sacks, five, uh, you know, five tackles and stuff, he's only going to get better too. I mean, it's just... You know, when you look at when I look at his snap count, he's still not at 300 snaps. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just getting started for him. So, um, yeah, his growth is outstanding. And your example, Kenny, last week, I took that into my meeting uh, with the staff and with the players, and it was a great example. So sometimes you could get down and all that stuff, um, but to me, they're not on scholarship anymore. We have to win. This is about winning, and um, I'm very demanding of them, and they're demanding of each other, and we'll get better. Defensive coordinator Mike Benavides got to keep working with the guys, especially some of the younger guys in the secondary. Mike texting in he says hey Reed great interview with Jermaine Buckner I can still remember playing against him while at Emmy Lazert he and Andrew Parker actually had a dunk contest in game basically showing off their skills in the middle of the game would have loved to see that back in the day inside sports on Chet this is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos and you're listening to inside sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet Well, thank you very much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chat. Some great Eskimos content tonight. And their next game is Saturday afternoon in Toronto against James Franklin and the Toronto Argos. Two o'clock countdown to kick off. The game will be at 3.30. One of the, 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 well, my favorite part of this job is just interviewing people, just getting to talk to people, hear stories, and often... Now that I've been doing it a little while, not as long as uh, a lot of people, but reconnecting with people. And, I, and I've referenced on this show a few times that when I finished the, the Nate radio and TV program, my first job after that was actually in media relations for a team known as the Edmonton Drillers, uh, the, the indoor soccer version of the Edmonton Drillers in the 98 no, pardon me, the 99-2000 season. I joined them in November of 99, and then in March of 2000, I got the job in Lloyd Minster, where I've told you a million times I lived and worked for a while. Uh, and that was a memorable time. The uh, The franchise wasn't uh, wasn't doing great. We had the, the owner of the team, Wojtek Wojcicki, in studio a few months ago to tell some tales about that. But one of the young men I got to meet at that time and who I uh, recently discovered is still in Edmonton played for the Drillers and he's sitting across from me now Martin Dugas Martin thanks for coming in no thanks for having me this is really exciting this is incredible to, to see you after after all, all these years and just proof that you never know when you're going to cross paths again I, I, I didn't know that you'd stayed in Edmonton and, and we'll get to that story and we want to get to some Drillers memories but, but I want to let people know what you're doing now because you, you have done some really important stuff and you continue to you're with Wellspring Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, who are they? What do you guys do? We're a cancer support network. Uh, we provide, um, you know, any support in the psychosocial range, emotional range, uh, nutrition, uh, exercise for people who are facing cancer, their families, and their caregivers. All right. Uh, so, I mean, that's such incredible work you're doing. So how did you get into And we were just talking during the break. You've done stuff with uh, Royal McDonald House. Yes. Who else in Edmonton? Um, volunteered with the, the Stollery. So, so how did days. you get, like, how do you go from being the jock, the soccer player, and you played pro 
Canada, all over the world. What, where was, where did that transition and that fire come from? Uh, you know, my parents, uh, they're both teachers and they were both saying, you know, the, the community is what you make it, you know, you need to connect with your community wherever you go. So as soon as I would move to a city, you know, I'd look, where can I find some place to, to volunteer? You know, at first you're not sure where it'll go, any opportunity is a great opportunity, and when I came to Edmonton, it was incredible, the, the people that I met and the opportunities I was given. All right. Uh, with, with Wellspring, um, very important what you're doing. Um, can it be a heartbreaking job? Like, there, is, are, there, are there some tough days, or how do, you, how do you handle some of that? Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the topic is tough, uh, yeah. but the reality of actually facing cancer so our tagline is like facing cancer together um, no one should ever face cancer alone there's this moment of fear that you just want to push it off it's not really happening when you walk through the doors there's a moment you have to accept that it's it's happening but man you see uh, an entire network light up and lean forward to to be with you um, the majority of our volunteers have have been in this uh, journey of cancer. And so they're there to support. But all the programs, the things that you get to experience, make life great. It would make anyone's life great. However, you're now forced to stand up and be accounted for, and there's a network that, that's there for you. Whether it's for a short period of time or a long period of time, that network never leaves, and that sense of importance and meaning is deep and strong. Hope. You know, I've often said hope walks in, the, you know, moment kindness is present. Kindness is always present. People are laughing. The volunteers, and, you know, I'll even say there's a number of them with stage four cancer. You would never know it. One has had stage four cancer for more than um, five years. And she said, you know, I haven't been sick for three years. She doesn't look at her diagnosis as being sick. She's metastatic and keeping it at bay but she takes care of herself. She's so happy to be there to support other people. She feels inflated in her life. I think that that's something that carries forward really strongly in every instance, even when there's moments of, of sadness. That's incredible how you how you put that, Martin. Uh, Martin Dugas is joining us in studio. So again, uh, wellspring.ca slash Edmonton. Yes. If people, and, and I wanted to touch on this. I mean, this is a sports show, but it's, it's part of your story and it's part of us you know, facing cancer, like you said, is a part of the story for so many people, and, that, and that's why why Wellspring is there. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, in terms of you becoming an Edmontonian, I mean, yeah. you're 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 what? You're in your 40s now. Yes, your playing career is has passed you by at the pro level, shall we say? Long since passed me by. <laughs> yeah, well, mo- a lot of us never had one at the level you played at. But that um, you're from Ontario, yes, and uh, you played in other cities. Why Edmonton? Why once you were done, was, was this the spot? You know, there was this really funny gap in 1996 where um, I was supposed to go to Portugal, and it was just taking a little bit longer to happen and I got a call um, from somebody to come out to Edmonton and now I'd never I'd heard of the mall and (laughs) uh, and the Oilers and but as a Canadian I didn't know an awful lot about it Uh, you know also in your 20s I'd just come from living overseas in Holland I said are you sure like I'm I think I'm gonna be leaving a little bit later no no come on out and I came out, and I still remember I got off the plane, and I went right to my first practice, and our coach at the time said, oh, my God, what a great day. You know, it was 
It was like minus in, in it was the beginning of this was for the indoor season. Oh my god, yeah. it was minus weather already. Uh, it was like <laughs> September, and I not I thought I knew what winter was, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting some glimpses. And our our coach said, what an amazing day. I just skinned a moose, and I'm ready to go to practice. I'm like. I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm liking it. And I met all these people that were fantastic. And next thing you know, you know, a season goes by. Um, all of my teammates were at the exact same stage of life. It was a very unique team. Uh, you know, we were all single, you know, searching to be more connected to the world. And we were really good friends. And we came to a team that wanted us to get into the community. So we would also just go and find places to volunteer, go find projects to create with our community partners. And it was amazing. Like people just let us in and made things with us. And I go, you know, for someone who wasn't told whether it would go one way or another way, to be able to be, hey, I have an idea and see it go somewhere was just the most spectacular thing. I bonded and imprinted with Edmonton as my home from that. That's amazing. You know, Martin Dugas joining us on Inside Sports. So I referenced our brief uh, affiliation in the past was uh, 99 2000. A whirlwind year. Like, like, you know, it was no secret the team wasn't doing well financially. Uh, Voitech was fighting as hard as he could. Edmonton hosted the All Star Game, uh, an exhibition match. And what happened to you, Martin? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, at one stage, when I started with the Drillers, I was known as the Iron Man because I never missed games. Right. And then I seemed to go on a success. As soon as people start pointing that out. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was uh, had a series of back injuries and whatnot, but I ended up tearing my ACL in the All-Star game. So. And I think I remember, too, you were just running. Like, you didn't get hit, really, did you? You know what it was? I, I cut on the inside, okay. and it was the most slight touch but as i lifted my leg to to cut the ball in the person who just kind of swung it it just touched it a little higher so when it, my leg landed it landed in a, a different angle than it was supposed to and oh. i think that that angle i just i felt the pop and i felt the crunch in the knee oh. and i was like I think that's my name. <laughs> oh, so, and, and you didn't come back that year, obviously. No, no, no. I, that, was, I was, that would have been what, in January, I think? Yeah, January. I think it was January. Late yeah, January, was, yep. I think, I had my surgery the first week of February, so. Yeah. So I, 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 I left the franchise in, in March. Uh, it comes back in the fall. And by this point, I still had friends working for the yep. team. And there was no texting then, but you get the odd email or phone call yep. like, hey, we're, I think we're going to fold. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the story from some of the office workers' perspectives. You know, Voitech had to suck it up and say, not sure I'm going to be able to pay on Friday. Not sure if we're going to have a team next yep. week. What was it like from a player's perspective? How, how was that message how, delivered? How do you deal with that message? Well, we were all brought into a room when we were told that uh, um, we would no longer um, continue. And, you know, I think that that sense of family, uh, it was a deep sense of family. All of us felt like there was unfinished business. I think to this day, when I talk to my my friends from that team, you know, we were on a we were on a roll as a team. We'd figured. That's the thing. The team was actually pretty yeah, good. Yeah. The the team had figured out some uh, had figured out its identity and how to to win and how to connect, and we were. We we're very tight with each other. We all had each other's back. Uh, it didn't matter if if you're on the reserve team or the the, the starting team. Like it was a, a a network that, like I said, it was unique that we were all at the same stage of life. I think when we 
had folded, there was only one, maybe two of us that had kids uh, at that stage. And since then, we all kind of had kids at the same time. You know, another teammate of mine, Todd Ratti, he's he's in the city. He's a firefighter in Spruce Grove. Well, not in Spruce Grove, in Edmonton, but he lives in Spruce Grove. He and I have coached together. Our sons played oh, wow. on the same soccer team together. He had a bomb of a shot, by the way. That's he right. He did have a bomb of a shot. <laughs> but I would I would tease him, though. I go, he killed way more fans with his shot than, than <laughs> oh, goalies. <geez. laughs> I'm just I'm joking. Hopefully he's listening. I'm, that's why I'm saying it. That's the other reason. Uh, all right. So, but then you were dispersed, right? The players were dispersed so all yes. of a sudden you're so where'd you wind up going i got picked up in detroit okay and, and this uh, is like all happening in a few days you're in a few days so <laughs> oh, there was a like the mini drillers that went over to to detroit and you know it was really funny was that team was nine or ten games below uh 500 at that time and we had pulled it back to 500 and we were in our last game of the season and we were up, I think, f- three or four goals. And we had. And we should point we, out the indoor game yep. was a different scoring. Yeah, it was, it was different. Goals, but, we were, yeah. but we were, I think we were three goals. But you were doing Three goals good. up. Right. So I think it was, it was either eight or nine points at the right. time. And all of a sudden, um, like, we just needed, we have just a few minutes to go. We're going to beat Kansas City, take the, the spot to the playoffs. We're, we got this. And, you know, like, felt you know we had some unfinished business with the drill so we're going to finish it with detroit and uh i don't know what the heck happened it was like one of those slow-mo is that two minutes even moving like (laughs) what's going on here i I think they clawed back a goal and in literally the last second of the game they tied it up and we went into overtime and we ended up not um not not winning that game but um that was our our kind of uh the the next chapter after the drillers wow amazing martin dugas joining us uh, on inside sports he told a great story he's with uh, wellspring edmonton he's the ceo and uh telling some stories from his soccer career can you stick around because we got to talk a little bit about the world cup would love that yeah absolutely i I might roll around like neymar during the commercial is that okay (laughs) absolutely (laughs) we're back after the break. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's 7.48 Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. It is awesome catching up with Martin Dugas, former Edmonton... Did you play outdoor for the Drillers as well? Were there Not both at the, the time? Drillers. No, it was okay. indoor with the Drillers. But you obviously played pro-outdoor. Yep. Uh, where? Some of the places. Um, Holland, England, and Germany. So okay. in, in Holland, it was Combier-Lewarden. In Germany, it was St. Pauli. And in uh, England, it was Watford. So you were going all over. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, obviously you told the story of uh, quickly becoming... What was the Detroit team? The, the Rockers. It was the Rockers. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, like I, sometimes I think like how many... There was the Kansas City... Were they the Wave? Uh, the, no, Milwaukee Wave. The Milwaukee. I, yeah. ended up, I ended up getting drafted by the... Or picked up in a trade with the Wave right after the um, the Detroit team. So I spent two years with the Wave as well. I remember that league. What was it called? It was called the NASL, but it was indoor. Yeah, and then went to MISL. Then they changed. They changed. changed. I I remember, and this was crazy. 
I, I didn't travel with the team, and we couldn't watch the road game. So yeah. I'd have to wa- I'd have to write game reports for games I hadn't seen. So your coach Ross Angara would call me after the game, and and I remember when I started, you guys were on like a homestand, and it was like a five game homestand that took three weeks to play. Yep. And then I remember you guys had a seven game road trip in ten days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you rented, like you, I, know, you would just go in there. You play all your road games in a couple big bunches. The you know I think that was a, the budgetary decision because like oh well, yeah for how, sure how much can you cram in that? <laughs> but I I still remember we were so used to these these road trips. Every day past the second or third day, you you had to take off, you know. 15 to 20 IQ points and three or four grade levels. At one stage, we seemed like little daycare cavemen um, arguing about the dumbest things. Um, On that last stance, I I still remember that road trip. Um, Jerry Prince was uh, on the trip with us reporting, reporting, and he says, I felt like I was drunk writing my last report. I don't know how you guys played. One of our guys tore his, AC, and his ACL, his Achilles tendon um, in that game. And so, uh, you know, we we were tired at the end of those. We often would have to bust between places. Yeah. I still remember, always it seemed we'd arrive in Milwaukee, a team that had been waiting for us for two weeks. Right, <laughs> just practicing, at the end, just in a bad mood. At the yeah. end of the road trip, <laughs> For the one in the afternoon game. Right. And we drove through the night. Yeah. Got off the bus. I mean, we had bunks in the bus, but got off the bus and had to go directly to to playing a team that wanted to press us the the whole time. So there was like, yeah, there wasn't the fondest memories of our away visits to Milwaukee. We loved getting them back home, though. Yeah. I think they were one of the more stable franchises in the league, weren't they? They might have had a little bit more money than some. Yeah, they, they were. And they were they, they're, and their um, their fan base was strong on a lot of ways. They supported, uh, they, they had their camps and they had their um, all of their other things that go into the um, community that weren't just the product on the field as well. Martin Dugas joining us. Okay, so you're you're a soccer guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you see when you see Neymar, now the guy did step on him. The guy did the guy did step on him, mm-hmm. and I, technically that's a red card. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think he stepped on him with the ferocity that Neymar should have. His hip should have gone three feet. In the, like when you see that, how do you ex- can you explain that to people who don't watch a lot of soccer? Or? Well, you know it's. It's not the first thing that I would notice uh, when I think of an elite player playing like that. You just notice that someone was rolling around. <laughs> Did you notice the 16 kilometers they ran in that period sure, of, of time? Sure, yeah. I think that's pretty remarkable. But I had to laugh with it. Like I think <laughs> the VAR and the video things that come back to us, ridiculous is ridiculous. Like somebody didn't step on you, why would you do that? Um, if you've rolled more than twice... <laughs> You've, we've either had an earthquake and the ground is slanted, um, or we got a problem. Um, so it's, it gets a little comical. And I have loved the gifts on, uh, on Neymar, the cheese wheel running down the hill and calling it the Neymar family reunion is quite funny. <laughs> what do you think of, did you get to watch England and Columbia? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for England because uh, you know I, I love the Colombian team uh, coming to the World Cup. Uh, they had some injuries, but uh, you know England has had such a tough time mm-hmm. with penalties, and they want to believe. And 
they're pessimistic and optimistic at the same time. So I'm I'm <laughs> right. thrilled. I'm thrilled hearing it. I'm also a tennis fan, so hearing all the eruptions during Wimbledon and other things are awesome. You know, um, good on England. That was. Uh, I mean, the Colombians were. They got lots of. They got six yellows. Yeah, that's a lot. And the the protesting. And I I, I know you're probably frustrated too because I'm talking about non skill things. But when yeah. I watch, I'm like. Why do we have to wait four minutes for the penalty kick for the for them to argue? Like, yeah. can't the ref just say enough and yep. let Kane take the kick? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it it, it there are those protests, but I'll tell you. Um, I don't know what other people have been thinking about the VAR, but I was so happy to see it um, because right is right and wrong is wrong. Yeah, sure. And did they get it all right? No, but it's a real shame when you know you're too scared to to call something because of the magnitude of the game as an individual, and you've got support from eyes around there. I think that's been a, a really great thing. I think that will change the game mm-hmm. on how people can conduct themselves. I think there will be a pushback on these protests from from things as well and i think that getting on with the game will be part of it and not getting away with stuff because it's only one ref on the field right like there's so many angles when people are in there so i think that you know all of those things will help correct it did you do you have a lot of penalty kick experiences as a player either uh, a game that went to penalties or you having to take a big one i you know i I've been in a lot of penalties, I'd say, if you consider also semi-pro sure. and competitive soccer. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say a, a lot as a professional player uh, a couple times. Um, I do remember uh, when I was, before I went overseas, and I was working really hard on my craft and making a lot of improvement, and I had a mentor at the time, and I loved competing and all of a sudden there was times we'd be in tournaments and we'd get into penalties mm-hmm. and I remember another teammate of mine playing on the team was the same Thomas Rudzinski and uh, we play these money tournaments and every once in a while we go into penalties and neither of us wanted to take it and one day there's a Dutch guy he goes there's high voice and big accent <laughs> he yells at me and he goes like if you're if you really want to play you you need to pay and you need to step up and get over the fact oh I can't or I will or I won't just right. you practice for it and you do it and that changed how I looked at it it's like everything is about preparation it's all just an experience you can do your best and improve on that too so I started to say from that moment forward I won't turn my back and hope we will try to embrace it yeah so so with penalties because look, when it comes to penalty kick in the game, or when it comes down to the shootout, they're going to take five each. Mm-hmm. You should score, right? So, was it for you or for guys? Is it a fear of I don't want to be the one guy out of ten that misses? Is that is that what it is? Or I, I think I think that's part of it. I think sometimes it's that disconnect from your body where you like it just feels like that net's really small, right? The ball's really heavy. Um, the goalie's really fast, and but it's like your mind is. What if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do that? What if I do that? And you're you're asking those. I think the best part of it is, I pick my spot, and I'm going to hit it. He's going to make a save, or I'm going to get it. Uh, you know, and when you simplify it to that, then you step up to it with a lot less clutter between the ears. Right. A uh, couple, well, great stop by the English goalie and the cross, and then the crossbar that's two inches lower. It's goal Columbia, right? Yep. Yeah.
Well, I mean, how many times has England been in that situation, though? Yeah, and usually they haven't got the... <laughs> A former colleague of mine who's, uh, you know, resting with uh, having had back surgery, her posts on Facebook have been amazing. Oh, <laughs> she goes like, it's, it's getting me through my, you know, my pain. I, I, I feel connected. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for it. Martin, thanks for coming in. Uh, former Edmonton driller, now the CEO of Wellspring in Edmonton. You guys are doing such a great job to help people get through uh, cancer treatment or, or just deal with the tough part of their lives. Uh, wellspring.ca slash Edmonton. We'll have to keep in touch. Thank you so much for coming awesome. in. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Chet. Talk to you tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.